0: When you turn on revenue is sort of superfluous. In fact, you mm. might accidentally crush the company by turning revenue on too soon because now I have to support paying customers with all this operational process of support and customer service and blah blah blah. And then that becomes a capital drain on my limited dollars that I need to continue to still build out the platform and my marketplace and blah 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 blah. Mm. So you know it's like, well, the hobbyist amateur VCs hate my guts. <laughs> Well, you just I you got me
1: you thinking differently. <laughs> we are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. This time we're going to look into blockchain and funding and VC stuff. It's really cool. I've got uh, Michael Hiles here who runs um, a tech business and is very interested and into the blockchain field. You've actually come up with your own fund. Uh, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about that today. Could you tell us a little bit about... Uh, What you've done, what have you accomplished on the blockchain fund
0: side? Well, that's a big question. Um, So we do have the software company, which is completely separate. Um, It's an enterprise software fintech uh, platform for uh, traditional capital and finance. So we're innovating that space, disrupting that particular space. Um, And that's not the typical Bitcoin, cryptocurrency stuff. This is you know, bringing efficiencies to an inefficient capital market that already exists. Municipal bonds, for example. Um, and then we have the separate fund, which is an investment vehicle that we have uh, been working uh, diligently for a while and have specific uh, strategies for investment return uh, in the fund that represents a couple of different things like... Um, uh, buying and selling cryptocurrencies against a particular uh, formula for um, arbitraging the marketplace. And then, um, you know, looking for additional infrastructure based companies like mine, um, you know, blockchain and just, you know, technology in general represents a, a lot of opportunity for disruption. And, um, you know, we're, we're interested in, in, in eyeballing those things as well. And really another component to the fund is, um, uh, the federal government made some changes that made it very um, beneficial for investors to put money into what's called an opportunity zone. Um, hmm. And that's a designated area um, geographically that brings some very significant tax benefits to investing in both real estate and then at risk venture capital type uh, uh, investments in businesses that are located in those opportunity zones. Okay. So, so we're we'll just do all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs>
1: And, yeah, that that is a big range of things. Now, I should say for our listeners, I've known you for years, and you're always on like the super serious, from my perspective, deep level, actually getting things done with real companies, as opposed to much of the stuff that I see on Facebook, for example, you're not on Facebook very often. And when you do, you're like, we met with the president of the, you know, the, the University of Florida, and now we're doing some crazy awesome thing, right? Uh, so I, I think that is the kind of story that I'd like to share uh, with you today. Tell us a little bit about the, the business. I mean, you're wearing the t-shirt. Listeners can't hear that, and it's kind of cut off there, 10 XTS. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So, uh, 10 XTS is a, uh, FinTech software company. Um, I've been coding for my entire career, uh, has been associated in some way, shape or form with selling technology, developing technology and in particular software and software development. Um, and, uh, so 10 XTS is just, uh, the next thing in my career. Uh, we saw the opportunity that was coming, um, Not around necessarily Bitcoin and Ethereum and the cryptocurrency space, but then the ability to apply that underlying technology uh, to solve real world existing uh, financial services problems. Well, not just financial services, but problems in general um, around marketplaces and um, uh, making capital more efficient, basically. Uh, There's many swaths of the financial market that is incredibly inefficient and costs Mm -hmm. investors uh, billions of dollars annually in just stupid bullshit like administrative fees, Mm. like the time to settle a transaction, for example. Um, It's an incredibly inefficient process. A lot of it has to do with the bureaucracy around regulatory and licensing and reporting and those kinds of things. but when you look at the problems that exist uh, in particular with the kinds of technology we have at our disposal now, um, there's no reason why we can't fix some of these things and save everyone billions and billions and billions (laughs) of lost capital annually. So
1: awesome. So clearly Michael, you're working at a different level than what most of the online marketers are working at. Uh, And you know, I wouldn't even, Put you in a, a similar category, so you know a couple of years ago, Bitcoin was hot. It was the bandwagon thing. There were all those events, remember, where people were going you know for a few months, it looked like it was going to go on forever. Uh, I, I, I never bought into that at all, uh, and i 've been very wary actually about cryptocurrency right while, while following it, and then I see you get into it and go well i 've created a real fund here and for, for, yeah, for and in so, fact, you, our, you, real you.
0: Fund, mm-hmm. our real fund, our um, real fund last year did 86% rate of return in the middle of the crypto winter, and we'll probably do 150% this year if if the models pan. And this is like real dollars. We don't stay in cryptocurrency. We come back to cash, right? This is an entire trading strategy where, um, you know, it's, it's – uh, you know, pretty sophisticated. Uh, The guys that, the guys that are behind it, I'm not a quant trader. I wish I were that brilliant. Um, But uh, the guys that are behind it are, they're literally physicists um, that figured out they could make more money in the financial market than teaching physics at a Mm -hmm. university somewhere with their PhDs. So they write these incredibly complex strings of mathematics that tell them, um, you know, how to interpret and read the market, the behavior to take uh, based on the market And they're really, really good at it. And it it involves basically the idea that, um, you know, Bitcoin, uh, whether you believe in it or not, people are buying it and selling it. And they're buying it and selling it um, at, you know, billions of dollars rate on many exchanges globally, which means there's no single price for Bitcoin. Right. There's no one centralized price authority for Bitcoin. The price for Bitcoin is based on whatever exchange the Bitcoin is traded on. Well, there's variances if Bitcoin at the same time could be one price on one exchange and, you know, is a different price on a different exchange. And if you know what the momentums are for each of those exchanges, you know, which exchange to buy on and which exchange to sell on sometimes almost automatically. Um, and just playing the arbitrage between the price discrepancies of mm-hmm. the exchanges. That's what quant traders do in wall street, right? So it's applying that high frequency trading strategy, mm-hmm. uh, that quant strategy to, uh, uh, crypto assets, digital assets. Okay.
1: Now you're, you're a big player in the Cincinnati Founders Institute, which is like, a.
0: a- I run. Yeah. I, I was the founder and uh, run the Cincinnati chapter Founder It's part of startup Cincy whoo, represent, <laughs> um, So we're one of the accelerator programs. Founder Institute is uh, the world's largest pre-seed accelerator program. So we're like, before you go into Techstars, before you go into a generator or, uh, you know, plug and play, some of the bigger, uh, Mm -hmm. some of the bigger, um, you know, accelerator programs. Those are all later stage. That's when your company's far more developed. Um, But uh, yeah, Founder Institute's headquartered in San Francisco. Um, was founded by Adeo Ressi in uh, 2009. Adeo was uh, Elon's roommate at University of Pennsylvania, UPenn. Um, and so and Adeo went on to create a couple billion in shareholder value himself. Um, so he's a pretty smart guy, capable guy. And um, so I, I founded and launched, um, you know, we pulled a team together and uh, created a community around Founder Institute Cincinnati because we needed that early stage uh, in the Cincinnati community, all of the uh, VCs and uh, accelerator programs are all, once again, focused on later stage stuff. And there was nothing for the first timer. you know, the, the first time around CEO for, that has never done it before. Right. Right. I've never start, I've never started a company. I have no idea what uh, venture capital is and how it works. Mm. I have no idea how to, you know, value my company. I don't know what a convertible note is or, you know, liquidation preference or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. And and you have to know these things as a founder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's cool to start a business that you can just go out and hustle and sell, sell. And that's ultimately what it's all about. Right. But you're going to, you're going to hit the ceiling. And I think that that's where a lot of solopreneurs because they don't have that next stage business understanding they didn't go to B school or they don't have that. They don't know how to structure their business in such a way that they can scale beyond the, you know, even a million a year. You Mm -hmm. know, I know solopreneurs that are out there knocking it down. Right. But um, they're just good salespeople. They found a niche, they found a market and they're good at selling into it. And okay, it's cool. It's a lifestyle business. One problem though, is with lifestyle businesses, you stop selling, you stop getting paid. Yeah. So if you want to build an asset that's going to outlive your life expectancy as the founder of the entrepreneur, then you need to understand how to put infrastructure in place, capital, scale, processes,
1: processes, (laughs) something I know a little bit about. Imagine that. That that is the point of this podcast to talk about the unexpected challenges of scaling. So we're right in there. So I hope by this point in our talk, uh, the, our listener has, got the picture here that you know what the heck you're talking about when it comes to that second level of entrepreneurship. Uh, I've I've seen you say it's great to hustle and and, kind of echoing what you just said, uh, create revenue dollars. But what about balance sheet dollars, right? That's that's really where I mean, the
0: majority of the global wealth is balance sheet dollars. Right. Warren Buffett doesn't have $60 billion in $20 bills sitting in his vault. No more. Right. I mean, it's, it's balance sheet, asset wealth, um, and make no mistake, that's legitimate. A bank will look at your balance sheet and say, well, I've got, you know, 56% ownership in, uh, this company that's worth, um, you know, $6 million well, why is it worth $6 million? Well, I was able to raise capital by selling shares in my company to someone at a price that values that asset at $6 million. It's it's like people are like, Oh my gosh, isn't that funny money? No, it's not funny money. If I, if I sell 10% of my company to somebody for $600,000, that means the whole company is worth, you know, $6 million. Mm -hmm. And if I own the majority of that, my balance sheet, my net worth says, you know, I've got X million dollars, right? Now I don't have that in the bank. I can't spend that. And in fact um, where the funny money comes in is, is this concept called liquidity, right? Can I get money mm-hmm. for that asset? Right. And that's where people get hung up on it. Like balance sheet wealth's great. And that's why balance sheet wealth is great when you own publicly traded companies, because the shares that you own may as well be dollars in your wallet. Because I can go out and sell shares on the public stock exchange, right. and get,
1: get cash for them.
0: Right. Right. Unfortunately for me, if I want to go sell shares and say 10xTS, want we'll to sell my shares, um, if I could even find a buyer for it, you know, this is very illiquid. It's a high risk, you know, private company. And um, if I were able to find a buyer for it, I'd probably have to discount the price so much in order to induce them to purchase that asset, it's probably not going to be worth it my while. Mm -hmm. So
1: back to, to building value. Okay. So with all this background that you've got, you saw that there was an opportunity to create a certified fund. Now you get all these guys who uh, will spam you and say, Hey, I've got this fund. Do you want to invest? And they're not even legally allowed to be doing that. That's right. right. And, and I see, in fact, you you can drop a
0: dime on uh, guys. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm Mr. Regulatory Compliance. (laughs) Yeah. Always made me a Bitcoin pariah in the early days when all the AnCaps were, uh, you know, beating the drum. And then now everybody is, you know, Oh, we're regulatory compliant. I'm like, what does that even mean? Hmm. Right. And it's like regulatory compliant stating to the world that you're regulatory compliant is like your local restaurant stating to the world that they passed their health inspection. Hmm. It, it it should just be the right. way that it is, right? right? It's
1: like, it's an oh, right. minimum.
0: Right. right. It's like, oh now you got all these crypto companies that are out there. Like, oh no, no, we're regulatory compliant too.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, anyway. So
1: so, so what, what made spot? you say, all right, I'm I'm gonna go create a fund here? What made well, you take that jump?
0: Um It it was the result of a conversation with an older gentleman, attorney, mentor, Mm -hmm. uh, investor. Um, We were having a conversation a couple of years ago around, you know, how do we put together a fund that allows high net worth individuals who are never going to learn the technology necessarily, um, but allows them to participate in, you know, call it, uh, Weekend at Vegas increments mm-hmm. you know very you know to so the average person it's a lot of money it's you know a nice a really nice car, right, <laughs> but you know to high net worth, it's like, ah, eh, I blow this much in Vegas on the weekend, mm-hmm. um and it gives them something to talk about at the cocktail party <laughs> and then wouldn't it be cool if we could just experiment and play with it and, and so that was literally the genesis of the fund, and part of that was because my partner is a tax attorney, and so he has mm-hmm. done thousands of structured estates uh, over his his very illustrious 40 year plus career. Right. Um, and uh so now he can go back to his tax uh clients where he knows where all that high net worth money's at and offshore insurance trusts mm-hmm. and all that cool stuff. Um and you know be able to say, hey we got this little fund if you're interested in playing along here's our uh current ROI and then everybody's eyes boggle and they're like, ooh <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah. so that's your, there's your target market right there. That's yeah. awesome. And so you had that in mind before mm-hmm. you got into the how is this actually gonna happen. Now, so this guy's a, a tax attorney. Mm-hmm. Did I hear that right? Okay, and that's important because this is one of the things that, uh, that I and a former business partner found out about once we started making a little bit of money is like, okay, we don't wanna get hit with massive capital gains here and watch all of our hard earned uh, revenue. Right disappear into the the tax Mm -hmm. hole right and so we found out right away uh the bookkeeper wasn't the right person to help us the accountant was not the right person to help us we had to go make several calls to go up the chain and find a tax strategist attorney Mm -hmm. to give us the plan uh to avoid blowing money basically and and having it disappear right? right so and and what we found out there was the person who should be uh, giving you the strategy is not the person who should be carrying out the strategy. That was interesting. Those are two yeah. different levels.
0: Yeah, that's a fair statement.
1: And, I, and I, I have seen that, um, have you consulted a tax strategist attorney question, be a great qualifier. Right. So if, if you're in a situation where you have figured that out, that like, Oh, I have to do this. That means you've probably got the right mindset and I want to work with you. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, a, that's a big, yeah. it's just a, it's a necessary evil. One. I mean, mm-hmm. you, 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 when you're talking about, you know, especially the kinds of returns that are possible mm-hmm. and then, you know, the short-term, long-term impact of gains. And, uh, you know, I'll just disclaimer right now. I am not a tax professional. Anything that I say on this show should not be construed as tax advice, accounting advice, please consult, or legal advice, please consult your tax advisor CPA accountant or attorney right. for related business matters appropriate to your situation.
1: We are, are not giving that. professional advice. Here. <laughs> Got That's right.
0: We're just chatting. Um, so, yeah. I mean, and, and it's the other, that's the thing that drove us into the opportunity zone side, because what we saw, you know, we're unlike the traditional venture capital fund where you put your money in, you buy a unit and um, you're locked in for 10 years, hmm. you know, for the, for the life of the fund. Um, and, you know, most VC funds are, you know, family offices, high net worth individuals, whatever the fund principles will go around, pass the hat, hey, we're raising a fund, ten million bucks. Here's our hypothesis, these are the kinds of investments we're gonna make, blah, 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 blah. And hopefully we'll do a good job of it. And at the end of ten years, we're gonna liquidate everything and then you'll get your share back with the gains or losses, whatever that is right? Well, with crypto, it's different because, you know, when you're talking about digital assets, the liquidity is already there for Bitcoin, for you know, Litecoin, for you know, mm. all these other assets. So we offer our investors, our limited partners in the fund, a much uh, shorter uh, redemption window. Mm-hmm. So they can be liquid very quick. Well, and so what we started to realize, well, if we're knocking down 80, 100, 150% gains over the next couple of years, the likelihood that some guys are going to take some cash off the table and, um, you, know, you know, play with house money maybe, but you know, take the scrape while the getting's good. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to have another strategy to be able to move that capital into um, as a separate product to help them leverage their tax liability, for mm. example. And that's where the Opportunity Zone side came in, where an Opportunity Zone fund is a qualified fund, um, allows you to offset already existing um, tax gain liability. Mm. So. So if you sold a couple of businesses in 2018 and you're sitting there with the clock ticking on coming up with your offset strategy um, or stroke a check to the IRS, well, you can make an investment directly in a qualified opportunity zone fund. And then they have a year to deploy the capital after that fact and to hmm. the other businesses. But you may now, um, uh, axed away a, a percentage of your existing gain liability as well as increasing the amount of time that you have to pay it from one year to seven years. Hmm. Crazy. And then what the fund invests in grows completely capital gains tax-free for 10 years. Hmm. There's a 10-year 10, 10 tax. It's a long, 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 long strategy, right? But if you think about it, it's like, all right, well, I took a big-ass hit and um, you know, we'll take a scrape on um, you know, some crazy investment that makes 80% gains or I sell a company, whatever, right? And I turn around and I you know, spread out my liability on that for what I do have by rolling it in. Think of the capital that's coming into private enterprise, in particular, these opportunity zones. They're not the nicest neighborhoods hmm. in cities in particular. Hmm. And then, of course, if you go out rural, you know I've seen opportunity zone parcels that don't even have a street address. right? <laughs> it's like we're, we're woods, we're all Route Four. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like there's not even an address there. Right. So, um, but it's in the opportunity zone, um, and so that's where you're seeing the first push, which is moving the cash into real estate-based deals in these opportunity zones. So. Um, you know, slummy, slummy tenement type buildings that uh, no one's been able to do anything with for a very long time, all of a sudden are now uh, finding a new life. And, and what's interesting is, is the existing landlords have to transact and sell the building. Hmm. So they can't keep it and just put the money in and get the gains. So hmm. so now there's investors that are coming into these shitty neighborhoods and buying up buildings, but now the landlords are catching on to it. And like, oh, well, this is an opportunity time my property, you know, I couldn't get 10 grand for it yesterday, but today it's worth, you know, 1.1 million. So there's a bubble coming in opportunities mm-hmm. in real estate, but then we're focusing on the next wave after that, which is traditional um, venture capital investing in businesses that mm-hmm. work out of opportunities. Okay. So, so if you're a V, if you're a tech company and you're willing to go work out of a co work space and you know, spend half of your payroll dollars in a opportunity zone, which is a big qualification for that Mm -hmm. as a business Um, consult your uh, opportunity zone attorney. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, that, that, that allows us to then create a VC fund that carries all this awesome tax benefit, this tax strategy, and hopefully uh, make investments in innovation and companies that are working out of these disadvantaged economically, you know, um uh excluded areas hmm. so
1: which, however,, ten years from now, could be in quite a different situation, true, because I mean those buildings may be knocked down yeah and and replaced, and
0: that's it hmm. gentrification is the yeah. thing, you know I mean, it pisses off everybody in the neighborhood now, but I kind of look at it as well, you've had decades to fix your neighborhood and mm-hmm. you've not been able to attract money in businesses, so sort of the way the cyclical markets work in these mm-hmm. things, I guess.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting strategy. Now, I have seen over the last couple of years, you meeting with members of Congress and folks at universities and um, most recently that Strategy Institute uh, in um, University of Florida. Oh,
0: UCF, yeah. yeah. yeah Tell us there.
1: a little bit about, like, from from the outside looking in, from my perspective, this these things added so much credibility to what you were doing i like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get real feedback from these people and you're going to have the chance to educate them about it and get their, their mm-hmm. point of view on it. And, and most importantly, get them on board mm-hmm. the idea, Sure. something that they may not have even been thinking about beforehand. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? How do you, how do you make the decisions of who to go see? And was there an intentional process here or was it just, oh, well, I'm going to go and meet with, I guess we should meet with some of these people.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was categorical. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a twofold strategy, I guess. I mean, I have such a huge network personally, uh, which mm-hmm. is very helpful. Um, but, you know, categorically, it's sort of like, well, who's my customer? And that, that's not apparent early on in early stage tech. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we've got this innovation and now, you know, like, okay, well, we do we take the lean customer approach, which gives us, you know, call it shorter business windows, the, the lean startup or the, the customer discovery model is, you know, you go out and you poll and you ask your audience, you know, Hey, what are you willing to pay for this kind of a solution? Right. And when you're dealing with much bigger leaps in technology, um, the average customer's vocabulary does not yet exist mm-hmm. to be able to go to them and right. ask them, Hey, can you conceive of a solution to this particular problem or whatever? And then you got all these barriers, right? And it's like, think about the first company to adopt email. And quite frankly, I should know who that is, but I have not um, But what a risk, right? Like, well, who are, who are we going to be emailing back and forth with? Right. Well, just internal people in the company. We'll save lots of time and, you know. Paper. Well, we already have these vacuum tubes that we put messages in, and they, you know, go to the third floor and they get routed through the mail room. Like, why do we need email? So yeah, whatever. Um, so it's hard. The the you know, point is, is it's really tough to keep the baby alive, hmm. and, and that's my number one mission: is for any early stage technology, beg, borrow, steal, do whatever you got to do. Now that being said, if your idea is big enough. Um, That's where the big players, um, you know, they're going to look at what you're doing and find it interesting. And Mm -hmm. um, you just have to think big, you know, and um, go after people who think big. Um, There's, I would say in my entire career, and I experienced it recently, um, there might be 50 people in the world that I, would consider experts in the combination of structured capital, business models, and software and data. Hmm. Um, And I most recently had an opportunity to be in a conference room uh, with a conversation where vocabulary and words were not barriers.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm imagining what that would be like.
0: It was pretty fucking cool quite yeah. frankly, you know, <laughs> just be able to set everything aside. We're all coming from the same taxonomy and we're able to stream and think and apply the thought processes mm-hmm. to what we know about each other's organizations. And, and, and that is when you have the ability to interact with people who look at the world that strategically, um, that's when I'm in awe, you know, it's like, Oh, sensei. <laughs> 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 so, um, but as far as uh, like keeping the baby alive, sometimes you got to do the soft shoe hustle, you know. It's the way it is. You got you got to you got to go sell consulting services while you're building and selling the product, for example.
1: Right. So, so for our listeners who are considering, gee, I've got this cool idea. I want to bring it to market, but I don't know who will buy it yet. Uh, There's a two prong approach here that I'm seeing them. one is you're going to have a barrier to entry and that comes with no user adoption. (laughs) Nobody even knows what you're talking about. And then the second side of it is, well, maybe I can go find a few experts. And and I think if you find one every three to six months, you're probably doing a great job.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's really tough because, (laughs) you know, when you talk to the VC community, they obviously want to compress their risk. Mm-hmm. a failure. And it's very difficult. And you look at the, the, the history of venture capital. Um, oh shit, I'm trying to remember the name of the, uh, documentary on Netflix, uh, it's about the original Silicon Valley, uh, mm-hmm. VC emergence. And, uh, you know, and then we evolved all the way through to, uh, you know, the, the lean startup. Right. And, you know, now I'm a VC, I'm only going to put money into where I have, you know, these attributes or whatever. And and sadly it's hurt a lot of innovation because, mm-hmm bigger picture companies can't get funding for the baseline of their vi- of the vision right of the tech team and um because the vcs are jaded they've lost so much yeah. money on the whole well if you build it they'll come
1: and, and these folks don't, not true. they don't fit in a classification that's qualified yet right, right. and <laughs> it's,
0: and like, and it is, and it's absolutely true you're taking a major risk yeah on a, you know, if you build it, they will come approach to developing and investing in a business. And, you know, unless you yourself are also a subject matter expert in that particular space or whatever, you're probably not going to be able to connect the dots. And therefore, you know, gets kicked out due Mm -hmm. diligence, like, man, we don't have this. So, um, but those are also the companies that change the world, right? Mm -hmm. The technology. I look at um, like LinkedIn, for example. They went into their B round, their hmm. Series B, which was their third or fourth stage of investment at that point, um, asking for tens of millions of dollars at that point, um, with zero sales. Hmm. And but the focus and the approach were correct, right? The approach was let's build the network. We're building a marketplace. Most modern technology platforms, in some way, shape, or form, are a network. Software allows me to interact with information that is also interacting with other people, and other people are interacting with that same inter- information. Whether that's a you know point of sale system, e-commerce system, a CRM, a, you know, it's just like you have these software platforms that are really insided marketplaces. And so LinkedIn had it correct. You know, it was like, if we build our network, then at some point we know that we will be able to turn on a sales model. And then LinkedIn sold to Microsoft, you know, years later for 26, $27 billion cash. So (laughs) not a, not a bad run for those guys. Right. (laughs) So it's really tied to can you produce viable evidence that your economic network model is actually going to be adopted and scale, essentially. When you turn on revenue is sort of, Superfluous. In fact, you mm. might accidentally crush the company by turning revenue on too soon because now I have to support paying customers with all this operational process of support and customer service and blah, blah, blah. And then that becomes a capital drain on my limited dollars that I need to continue to still build out the platform and my marketplace and blah, 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 blah. Mm. So, you know, it's like, well, you know, and the hobbyist amateur VCs hate my guts. <laughs> Because well, you just 20, got me
1: thinking differently <laughs> with that comment of, should I turn revenue on? And before it would have been, of course you should. But
0: Well, I mean, obviously a company has to ultimately be profitable to be yeah. self-sustainable. You know, we, we start businesses to, uh, you know, enrich and provide benefit to the shareholders. That's the only reason we have business. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we could just be a nonprofit or a government program or something. You know, if I'm a for-profit business, you know, I don't get okay, this is the other thing people throw darts at me is I'm kind of critical of social impact investing. It's cool. It's, you know, it's great if you can pull it off. I don't decry the social aspect of it, but trying to combine that with a capitalism model is very difficult because the nature of capitalism is capital efficiency. Mm-hmm. And if I'm having to say, well, my charter, my mission, I'm going to do much better in the marketplace and gain four additional uh, percent of market share because i'm green and customers will gravitate towards that i get it but in the end the most efficient capital model is going to be the one that's the survives. It's more profitable to be able to go out and acquire more market share and mm-hmm. you
1: know, pay more money right. yeah being green does not mean you can lower your cost of customer
0: acquisition it's <laughs> <That's necessarily>. no <laughs> no and you're probably raising your fixed overhead of cost yeah. of value prop delivery of whatever yeah. you're selling. So,
1: so there's your challenge. All right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit it's about like nerdy, man.
0: I'm sorry. I'm taking you that's guys. Good.
1: I, I like it. <laughs> the hobbit journey here. Right. Tell us a little bit about a couple of these visits then of, of who you met and how those conversations went. Um, I, I guess, let's see if you can pick one where you came in and they were in a relative state of confusion about the whole concept and you help them along and then maybe somebody who you talk to like maybe the sensei figure who just got it
0: Hmm. well i mean solving problems is what we do every day all day long um so hopefully every interaction i have with someone else means i've solved a problem for them uh at some level Uh, I don't always get the value coming back the other way for that, but I should. But that's all right. Um, I guess I'm kind of on the other side. Um, you know, when you say big conversations, I mean, you know, definitely, I have uh, some pretty significant advisory capacities. Um, that is, Capitol Hill, Congress, um, United United States Chamber of Commerce. I've uh, you know done some advisory. With their emerging technologies committee in the past, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, you just—I I think for people who are trying to figure out how to make impacts and get things done, it's pretty easy to get into big rooms, especially in government. Okay, you can cl- you can climb into big rooms relatively easy with the right story, and obviously, mm-hmm. you can't be a dipshit, and you know, and you have to have all the. The boxes the prerequisite. Box is checked. Right. But you know, let's assuming you're a reasonable human being and you've got a really you know pretty good idea, and um, you're you're very clear on the value proposition and you know the wins where those are at. You 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 can definitely get into big rooms fairly quickly. Um, what you can't um, necessarily do is go in with a hard ask very quickly. And I think the timing wise is really a big mystery for a lot of business development, salespeople trying to go out and knock down big doors. Um, in in fact, it works heavily against you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like everybody sort of has this social credit. Uh, and if you're helpful and you're helpful and you're helpful and you're helpful and you're helpful, your bucket's full of awesome, you know, like, Hey, this guy's here to like, Really help us clear the, clear the mud out of the water, and then, um, but then you have an ask, right? It's like, ooh, oh. and everybody, unfortunately, you know, is like, they're always thinking, Where you know, when's the ask coming? When's the ask coming? When's the mm-hmm. ask coming? Right? When you interact with them on the front end, and, um, but you know. I, I guess it also comes from the fact that I've also paid it forward so much with a lot of people that uh, if I need social credit, um, you know, I can get vouched for depending mm-hmm. on where I'm going. Um, it's always better to have people saying awesome stuff about you than you saying about yourself. <clears throat> right. kind of, you know, it's the way it rolls. I don't know. That was kind of philosophical there. That's cool.
1: Uh and, and I think there have been a couple of answers that you provided that were different than where I thought you would go and that's valuable to me. Hopefully it's valuable to the listener. Sure. Um has there has there anybody uh been anybody who you've encountered where you're like, Wow, that turned out great, like you know, um, maybe a little even better than we expected or?
0: You mean like specific deal or yeah, just yeah, a, well, not, e- not even uh, a deal i mean i'm
1: not trying to dig for factoids here or something like right, that right. I'm, I'm looking for the general like how does this work kind of thing for somebody who's listening goes okay well it's all great for michael with his capitol hill experience and contacts to go out there and, and then uh, go and meet with uh you know some of these these large organizations or the um i'm just waiting for their page to open up here um Central Florida University's uh, thing here. I've got I've got white papers open. Well, we we, we went
0: to UCF, yeah. Simulation
1: and Training Institute.
0: Well, so you got to remember that all organizations, everybody in substantial leadership positions, are involved at some level, programmatically, with other organizations, other customer bases, other partners, you know, constituents, besides just their own organization. And so, you know, when you sit down and you talk to a university, for example, um, you're talking to them not only in context of, you know, what ultimately you can get from the university, mm-hmm. which is obviously um, you know, PhDs, academia, you know, research, whatever. Um, but then you're also injecting into sort of the substream of who are they partnered with? What's the agenda of their partners? So a lot of universities are involved in, um, it, you know, government research, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, knowing what somebody is trying to achieve in a particular research project, for example, may connect you not only to a university, but to a government agencies, private capital, you know, there mm-hmm. could be one or more, Early stage businesses springing up around a particular you know, research project. So, just understanding how to um, how to identify and read uh, a business constellation is what yeah. I call it. Yeah. Um, you know, most businesses have a value prop of some sort, vowel, value proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you step back and you look at a business as a link in a much bigger network or a bigger networked ecosystem, um, then you recognize how individual businesses value propositions are affected by and affect other uh, value propositions, whether it's supply chain Mm -hmm. or banking systems or, uh, you know, any, any of the major systems of not only a single business, but an entire marketplace. Right. And so, and that's also incidentally one of the things that we try to develop blockchain around because we recognize blockchains inherent ability to, um, power economies. It's not powering a value proposition. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a one-to-one value proposition with a blockchain. In fact, if you're trying to use blockchain to solve a one-to-one business value proposition problem, it's too expensive. You're mm-hmm. you know, wasting your time. You don't need a blockchain. You can Use MongoDB, right? If you're trying to do things to enhance a business ecosystem uh, where you are literally creating and facilitating a transactional economy, that's where blockchain shines. So, you know, it's why it's a natural when you look at capital business processes, market ecosystems, and then, you know, how do you bring in an information platform like a blockchain to power and support all that? That's, that's kind of the basis of our academic focus. So as we overlay economics with information systems and capital, you know, all these things, um, you know, that's, that's really the, the kind of stuff we specialize in. Hmm. Whoop, whoop,
1: whoop, whoop. <laughs> <B30> <laughs> XTS t-shirt is, uh, <laughs> featuring again for those who are listening. <laughs> so, right. right. It's but really
0: that, nerdy though. So, I picture. mean, <laughs> well no, right.
1: I, I have gotten a couple different ways of looking at things from, from listening to you today, Michael. Uh, it's, it's been super valuable. How, in general, how hard was it to get your fund certified and, and be compliant in that? Was it, you know, Oh, when you're, Oh, you're talking or...
0: the the, uh, which fund, the uh, opportunity zone fund. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a process with the IRS. Yes. Which, I mean, it's a treasury department uh, form filings and hmm. you know, um, yeah, just, you got to stand up the legal structure of a, yep. a fund, which is typically, you know, we're a traditional GPLP structure. So we're partnership general partnership. Limited part okay. Structure. Okay.
1: So not rocket science, surprisingly. No, uh, no, I, thought, I had thought because this is blockchain and it's new, maybe people hadn't figured it out yet so much.
0: Well, but. this is really apples and oranges. So when you have the okay. blockchain side, you know, that's just a traditional fund, you know, we're, we're a two, we're a two and 20 um, traditional two and 20 means we take 2% management fee annually and then a 20% success fee annually on the gain. Okay. So if, uh, you know, you put a million dollars, you know, say, say we raise a million dollars and we double it, right? Well, we're going to take, uh, 2% of that as a management fee and then we'll take 200,000 of the gain, uh, 20% of the upside as a fee leaving 80% of the, the, the remaining return to the investors. Makes sense.
1: So, All right. So there you just need the accounting skills and the lawyer skills and...
0: Well, it's God forbid right. anybody hires me to do accounting because that's not... <laughs> right,
1: what right. Right. So
0: we, have, we have an auditor, you know, we have a couple of things. We have a fund administrator. We got a, you know, we got an auditor, you know, accounting firm, got you know, great law firm securities attorneys, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to my partner, who's uh, right. an attorney himself. So, Okay.
1: Just trying to give people a mental picture of what it takes to, to do that. It um, ain't easy. Yeah. I mean, who should attempt to, to uh, do what you've done, to follow in your footsteps with something a little different?
2: Uh,
1: or, is this, or is this just a, look, kids, stay outside, you know?
0: No, I never, I, I always encourage growth and, yeah. you know, trying things and stubbing your toe. Um, unfortunately, when you get into regulatory stuff, you mm-hmm. stub your toe, you go to jail. So, right. um, and you always, can't do
1: it again, probably.
0: That's right. <laughs> always have a great attorney on speed dial. You know, it's like like our number one. Our partners, you know, we all laugh and say our number. Our number one rule is don't go to prison. Right. So, right. Like,
1: don't die. Sentence. Don't die is my number one rule. Yeah, well, they're, yeah. they're quite similar.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't so, get another chance
1: if you do that.
0: As far as far as like, um, if you haven't. Been involved in a business at a strategic level where you understand these concepts, mm-hmm. and have at least been exposed to them in some level. Um, this is not the kind of thing that the average uh, mid-level HR manager, cubicle mm-hmm. dweller, is going to leave their job and go start a VC fund, or you know, leave their job and, and you know. Um, uh, I'm the culmination of it ultimately on the tech side, 40 years worth mm-hmm. of tech. Um, I was a little kid and then on the professional side, I just got, I got lucky, you know, I, and because I had the tech, right. And because I was exposed to the, the vocabulary and I had assimilated the knowledge that allowed me to very early in my actual business career, um, engage in the right conversations with the right kinds of people. Mm. And like, Oh, well you're useful. And I didn't figure out how to leverage that until, you know, uh, you know, maybe halfway two thirds of the way into my professional career to where I'm at now. Um, In fact, one of the things I had to really get past um, is my attitude towards capital and money. Hmm. Um, If you can solve problems for people and you can create efficiencies, you are unique you are more valuable than the capital. Capital is a commodity, right?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But if
0: you possess the ability to put the processes and the teams and the frameworks and those kinds of things in place, Hmm. um, properly positioning your self view of your self worth Mm -hmm. in context of capital and people with money helps, To, number one, um, exhibit a level of confidence that's recognizable by high net worth and, you know, very senior decision makers. Um, But then it helps you navigate through difficult discussions, for example. Right. I don't have to discount myself because there's 10 other people over here that I'm waiting to go talk to. I'm just, (laughs) I'm doing you the courtesy. Would you like to know more? Would you like to hear more? You know, kind of, but I'm not. I'm not going to spin my wheels. Why should I do this deal with you?
2: Hmm.
0: Right. Um, And it's not an arrogance thing because people that really know me know that I'm probably one of the most like self deprecating. (laughs) It's like, I'm just me, you know, like, uh, you know, Uh, it took me a long time to even take a compliment. Well, you know, it's just childhood trauma and emotional bullshit. We Mm -hmm. all, you know, sorry, vulnerability moment there. Um, but been there, I've been there.
1: My my parents would tell you the same thing.
0: We we all have. Every human being, there's no secret. Every human being walking on this planet is scarred by their trauma in such a way that is compromising their ability to achieve what they're capable and probably destined to achieve in their lifetime. And, um, you know, that's just... You just don't see it, you're blind to these mm-hmm. things, and sadly, most people live their whole lives and go into the you know hereafter with you know just this sort of you know chocolate pudding covering. Right? Like, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda been great, you know, it's death of a salesman, right? You know, Willie Loman,
1: yeah, <laughs> sad but true, it At is, least. you know, it's like anyway,
0: so so.
1: Okay. So the change in, in view about capital and money and reorienting your, yourself. Uh, and, and then once again, I'm hearing another thing from you that I need to go and take away and work on with myself. Um, very interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you value what you do, mm-hmm. number one, your time. Right. Is your most valuable commodity.
1: Right. Yep. It's lettuce. Oh. It spoils and you can't get it back.
0: <laughs> That's it. Um, and we always assume we have more than we really do. Um, but, uh, you know, know, and then that unique value that you can bring, um, is worth more than the money. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Right.
1: Interesting. Interesting to think about here.
0: Um, well think about it like this, Jason, like as an employer, I want to pay you a hundred grand a year. What do I expect? Uh
1: probably more half, than a, half a million a year or more. More value. than a hundred grand a year worth
0: of that. Right.
1: That's that's a great place to start. Uh, okay. Well, Michael, who should be talking to you? Who would you like talking to you? If they listen to this, you know, who should how how can they know that hey, I'm in a position where Michael can help me and I should maybe go seek him out?
0: Uh well, you can always like follow me on social. Mm-hmm. Um, my social channels are different for different social channels because I have different like connections and friends mm-hmm. and audiences. So, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. My you know, LinkedIn is different from my Facebook. Definitely. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Um, so um, I don't have a lot of time to, you know, listen to long winded pitches. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to build channels for myself. So somebody says, Hey, I want to be part of, you know, your mentorship for my startup. Well, unless you're in southwestern Ohio um, or in you know my region, Cincinnati region, plus 50 miles or whatever, um, it, you know, you probably won't get the opportunity to work with me directly uh, because I have a channel called Cincinnati Founder Institute. And I can put you into that channel and that lane and uh, then effectively maximize my time and my efforts with my, my team. Um, you know, we've got an awesome Founder Institute team here locally. My co-director that I brought in—I just reorganized the chapter and just brought in Adam Kaler this year. Mm. Adam. Mm-hmm. Adam was the co-founder of Dot Loop, which sold to Zillow for a hundred million cash. So, uh, and he's a good old boy. Grew up in the right. West Side ghetto and made good, and um, just the most down-to-earth person you'd ever imagine. Um, and and he's just in the right place at the right time. Got a nine-figure exit out of it, and uh, you know that's the level of. Talent we try to bring in as mentors, directors for our local program. Um, I, I highly encourage if you're not in my area to explore Founder Institute as mm-hmm. a as an accelerator opportunity. If there's uh, one in a city near you, they operate globally, um, 180 200 cities globally. Um, then in terms of like if you uh, are looking to raise money or those kinds of things, if you're a startup, that's one thing. If you're a fund or whatever, that's another. Um, family offices can contact me directly because I have plenty of avenues for your capital. (laughs) Um, So, and and that's a whole separate story by itself as well. Um, But uh, yeah, it just kind of depends on how you want to engage and take a look at it. Um, If I don't get back to you right away, I just know that I, I do see everything and it just takes me time. Right. So, Awesome. What else, uh, man? What else? Any, what else?
1: Any specific, well, we've been talking for almost an hour, so I want to wrap up, but we could definitely have you on again uh, and focus on uh, a, a different topic than the, the blockchain that we focused on today and fun. I don't
0: feel we did. Do we focus on
1: blockchain? A little, a little, I a mean, little. this was interesting because it didn't go where I had planned it to. Um, half you? the questions that I wrote down to ask, I didn't, I didn't bother asking because awesome. um, they kind of evaporated. Like you, you, Partially answered them on the way, and also some of them became far less relevant than I thought they were at the time that I wrote. I'm I'm happy to
0: take whatever dive that you'd like to in whatever topical direction, you know, with enough advance notice. But uh, you know, in terms of you know what. What did we miss today? That you, it's your show, Jason.
1: Yeah, so. no, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with what we've covered today, and uh, I'm looking forward to the reaction the audience has. And uh, they, shit, they could,
0: is talking on microphone again. They, so. could tell me,
1: they could tell me what we missed or what we, what we right. could dig into more. But uh, you've given me three, at least three ideas that are floating around here right now. I don't know if you can see them, but. Uh, That are, that are making me think and have to review some things. So after we're done, I'm going to be back on my little notepad here that I was working on today with, uh, I did a little force field analysis of my own business and how I'm feeling about it, you know, advancing me and stuff that's blocking me and, I gotta figure some stuff out there. So it has been great to have you on. Uh is there a place people should go, a website or a specific place uh social to to follow you?
0: No um, I'm you can follow me, uh I'm Hiles Files on uh, Twitter, Mike at Michael Hiles. Um you know, that's probably if you're interested in the blockchain and the business, that's the most accessible and you don't have to like necessarily friend me up per se. You can just track one. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Track the people I'm I'm tracking. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, the normal, normal social channels. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Okay.
1: Well, thanks a lot for being my guest today. This has been Michael Hiles and we have talked about a whole bunch of what I think most people would think of as pretty high level money management, uh, wealth creation topics. Thanks for being here.
0: Cool. Thanks, man.